Every child has the right to grow up in a safe and inclusive environment. That was the goal set out in 1989 by the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. But in a world filled with conflicts, millions of minors face attacks, abuse, abandonment, and don't even have access to basic health care and education. UNICEF is the UN agency responsible for providing humanitarian and developmental aid to children worldwide. But are world leaders doing enough? In an attempt to shine light on the challenges facing children around the globe, some of the world's most recognizable faces in sports and entertainment have joined UNICEF's cause as goodwill ambassadors. One of them is former England football captain David Beckham. So, are athletes and other celebrities making the difference politicians have not been able to achieve? In the next half an hour, we'll explore some of the work done by the football superstar with vulnerable children and the challenges ahead for the 75-year-old organization. UNICEF's executive director, Catherine Russell, and Goodwill Ambassador David Beckham talked to Al Jazeera at the Doha Forum 2022. David Beckham, thank you very much for talking to Al Jazeera. Welcome, pleasure, thank you. I want to start by asking, what do you think is the importance of celebrities like yourself getting involved in championing humanitarian causes, particularly when it comes to the world's most vulnerable people, women and children? Well, I think for me personally, um, you know, I've been involved with UNICEF for a long, long time now. And it's been one of my passions over my career and also uh, after my career. Um, you know, during my career, I obviously did as much as I possibly could to help UNICEF and the children around the world. But um, I promised UNICEF when I retired and I had more times on my hands that I would be on the ground more and I would do more to support children around the world. So it's been an amazing journey, one that will continue uh, for a long, long time. But I think on the celebrity side and on uh, you know, people that have huge social media followings, I think to get in part, in, involved in um, humanitarian work um, at that level is, I think it's very important. I think that we have a responsibility uh, when you have the amount of millions that follow you and that look exactly what you are doing day in and day out and uh, how can you, how, how you can influence that. So, you know, I think that is very important because you can shine a light on certain situations or every situation. And I've talked in the past about how important funding is. Uh, and funding is obviously one of the most important things uh, in organisations and um, helping children around the world. But also shining a light at the level that we can, we can do um, is one of the most important things. You know, I'm able to help people by making people aware. You know, I have a very large following which ranges from 15-year-old kids to 60, 70-year-old people. And when you have that range, um, I think you have a duty um, to make people aware what's going on, make media aware, uh, and also to be able to shine a light even more so uh, on helping children. Um, so I think those are responsibilities that 
celebrities or people with large um, social media followings have. Do you feel like it's uh, you're paying back to all those fans, all those children who watched you, cheered you on in the stands? It's a, it's a form of giving back to them that love and support? I think, you know, throughout my career I've been very lucky. You know, I've had a long career at the highest level, been able to play for some of the biggest and best clubs in the world, uh, and I feel very privileged to have done that. And my way of giving back is being part of UNICEF, is shining a light. And look, there's many of uh, people like myself that do a huge amount for UNICEF, that does a huge amount for children. Um, so it's not just myself, you know, we have a team behind us, we have incredible people on the ground. And my way of saying thank you, my way of um, uh, kind of giving back is helping these children, is making people aware of what these children are going through, you know, the devastations that they um, face um, and the problems that they have every single minute of every single day. Is there one specific cause or one uh, scenario maybe or something that you feel has impacted you the most or that you care about the most? Of course there are so many unfortunately going around but is there one particular one that you... You know I get asked that question a lot you know people always turn around to me and say you know tell us you know your most rewarding story or the story that really kind of stays with you. There's many of those because you hear unbelievable stories and unbelievable stories of children that their lives have changed through the workers that we have on the ground, um, the tireless work that the people do for UNICEF day in and day out. Um, and we only see part of that. But I, I must admit, one of the things that obviously we are all talking about and we're all devastated about at the moment is uh, the devastation that is going on in Ukraine and what is happening to the children in Ukraine. You know, there are many, many that are homeless now that have been, a, that have been made to leave their homes. And that is one of the focuses that we've, we've been dealing with over the last few weeks. I think that, like everybody else, uh, everyone is devastated to see what is happening. And we want to do everything possible to help. So one of the things that we came together with UNICEF and did, um, I handed my social media over to this amazing doctor called Irina. And she was able to show the work that she's done. She was able to show um, the lives that she's saving, uh, the pregnant mothers that she's helping, the newborn babies that are being born premature uh, and in appalling conditions. Without my social media following, you know, we only see bits and parts of that. So I wanted to try and help in every possible way to let people see the incredible work that she's doing and also raise awareness because, like I said, our responsibility with people that have that, that kind of following is to make people aware and aware of details because it's, a, it's mostly the details that people don't get to see. Yes, there's a lot of media attention. Yes, um, there's a lot of things that we read, that we see, but sometimes we don't see those personal stories and Arena's story really is incredible. Um, and it was, quite, um, it was quite a moment when, 
you know, when she took over and I saw exactly what she was doing and many millions saw what she was doing. So that's just one of many stories. You know, I've obviously been able to visit many places in my time with UNICEF from El Salvador to Uganda to Djibouti to um, Nepal. Uh, and our main focus um, is children. Our main focus at the moment is girls and equality. Uh, and making sure that these young girls do not get left behind because that's one of the things on my travels that I've seen these young girls are getting left behind and they're not having the same opportunities that boys and, and men are getting so that's one of our focuses but you know we also focus on you know all children um, and I think that's one of the most important things you know with the with the situation in Ukraine and what's happening to the children there um, it is devastating, but we also don't, we, we make sure that we're not forgetting about the other, you know, issues and situations and things that are happening around the world as well. So there's a main focus on, on all children. If you had the message to, you know, that eight, nine, ten-year-old boy or girl who has that Man United or Real Madrid or England jersey of yours, and you had the message of, that you could speak to them, you know, one of those refugees, whether it is, as you say, from Afghanistan to Syria, Palestine, Ukraine, wherever, what would that message be? My message would be to keep smiling and stay safe and stay strong because millions of people are trying to help around the world um, and trying to help these children going through these devastations globally. The one thing that I would say is when I have been in these places, when I have seen and played football with these refugees in Djibouti or seen these young kids in Nepal that have gone through situations that my children have never had to face. They have the same smile as my kids. I look at them and they're, 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 they're happy, they're smiling. So I, I, my message to, to the, those young kids that are going through it, keep smiling because those smiles makes everybody happy. It makes everybody realise that um, how important it is to help organisations like UNICEF um, because as, as I talk about the things that children struggle and go through over this time that I've been with UNICEF, the positivity that comes out of funding, shining a light on the situations is incredible and I've seen both sides yes there's devastation yes the children and seeing them the way uh, they are and what they have to go through is devastating but then you see the other side of the help that's being put into these different places and it's it's really incredible we now hear from the executive director of UNICEF Catherine Russell Catherine Russell, uh, Executive Director of UNICEF, thank you very much for talking to Al Jazeera. Great, thank you for having me. We were just speaking to uh, UNICEF's ambassador, David Beckham, world-renowned footballer, superstar. Tell me, what do you 
think the role of these ambassadors play with regards to furthering uh, UNICEF's agenda and how important is it? Yeah, the ambassadors are so important and I'm very excited that David Beckham is here. Uh, he's, he and other ambassadors really help to spread the word about UNICEF and uh, do such a good job because they reach different populations. I mean, David Beckham obviously is world known and uh, everyone, children, sports fans, all listen to his voice and I think he has turned over his Twitter account uh, to, to folks uh, in, in Ukraine. So I think different, it, he reaches different populations and that's the same with all of our ambassadors. They're really um, valuable to us because they care so much about UNICEF, they visit our programs, and then they communicate the message of UNICEF to different populations. And so when they talk about how important children are, how all of us should be paying attention to children and children's needs, it just reaches different people than we would ordinarily reach. And I think he in particular has just shown his true support and dedication to the issues and it means a lot to us. So beyond the uh, ambassadors and pushing the, uh, let's say, the, 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 or highlighting the projects, what are the main challenges that UNICEF is currently facing? Yeah, there are so many challenges right now. I mean, UNICEF works in 190 countries in the world and you know, there are routine things that we're doing, immunizations, feeding programs, things like that. But I'd have to say that some of the biggest challenges are presented by conflicts, right? Because conflicts always make it difficult for the most vulnerable people in a community, and those are almost always women and children. So um, there are many conflicts in the world. Ukraine, obviously the one that's most in the news, but it's certainly not the other, the only one. Syria is in conflict. Yemen is a terrible conflict where children are suffering. We have a conflict in Ethiopia. So there are many places where children are suffering. Uh, we also have the problem of climate and the climate challenges that present themselves to children because it changes the environment. And a lot of times that means that there are water um, challenges for children and they have to go, you know, search, you know, walk, yeah, work, you know, walk two miles uh, in the morning to collect water. Uh, they have a lot more sort of climate crises, which are always difficult for the most vulnerable people in a, in a society. And then, of course, we've had COVID, right, which has made things very, very difficult for children around the world. Let's, let's start with the conflicts. Obviously, you, you mentioned the, the one that has been dominating. Uh, headlines has been uh, Russian, uh, Russia's war on Ukraine. We've seen in the media is that there's been a very clear difference in response towards uh, Ukrainian refugees as opposed to, for example, Syrians or as opposed to Afghans. Uh, they've, they've enjoyed much more favorable press, which also means they've enjoyed much more favorable uh, support. Even the European Union triggered uh, this Article 55 allowing for uh, refugees to stay one year and free education, free health. They never did that for the Syrians. They never did it for other people. So do you find that there's a bit of a double standards in that respect? It, it is certainly the case that e Ukraine has has been different. And I, you know, I, I, I see that certainly in the in the press and in the in, in the response. But I have to say that, um, you know, again, I wasn't in this job uh, during the Syria crisis, but I think that one thing I, I've seen with refugees is it's always so dreadful for a refugee, no matter who they are, to have to leave their home. Also, this is typical of all refugees, this idea that they were going home soon, you know, so they don't, when you say, oh, you know, where are you planning to stay? Well, let's say, well, you know, we're just going to be here for a couple of days. We're only here for a few days. We're going to stay for, with a friend or we're going to stay here or there. 
And the reality is that most refugees on average end up staying wherever they go for an average of 17 years. You know, it's crazy. Well, I, on, on that point, actually, I mean, sometimes it's even more. You've got, for example, Palestinian refugees yeah. for 70 years, right? Yes. So, so I've been, and, and what I wanted to, to ask here is that in terms of funding, in terms of support, mm -hmm. are you getting enough from member states? It, listen, it's, it's such a good question. It's something we struggle with every day because we, we do have a lot of generous supporters. In fact, here in Qatar, I've, I just um, signed an agreement for you know, $8 million, which was so generous of the government here. But of course, we always need more, right? Because the needs are, are just endless, honestly, because we try to provide so much support to so many children. And we could have probably 10 times our budget uh, and still not even be, you know, nearly doing what we need to do around the world because children are facing just endless challenges around the world. We're trying to get children educated. We're trying to make sure children are immunized everywhere, We're trying to deal with the results of COVID. Um, there are just so many challenges. I, I was in Afghanistan recently where we were working on trying to get children back in school, but I also found that children there are so acutely malnourished and it was a very alarming problem. I mean, honestly, I, I was a, I went to a, a hospital where we treat children for acute malnutrition and, you know, I've seen a lot of things over my career. I'd never seen anything so upsetting. Honestly, these babies were just, they were, they were just skin and bones and we were treating them with, um, you know, we have the way to treat them, but it's still, I know that that's a drop in the bu bucket in terms of the number of children who need that care. and. Um, you know, our estimates are 95% of the population in Afghanistan are under, will be in the next three months underneath the uh, poverty so line. So I'm going to, if you don't mind, I, I want to ask you a question about this and, and it will be the responsibility for this. You've taken the responsibility as UNICEF to try and aid and provide for it. But the reason why, and I, I'm not going to single out any country here, I will go through a few of them. For example, Afghanistan is where it is now. You were talking about decades of war, so whether it was the Russians before or the Americans and the Brits uh, who were there. We talk about Yemen, Saudi Arabia, and what it's doing there. You talk about Ukraine and Russia, what it's doing there. Is it not frustrating, and I know you're still new in this job, but is it not frustrating that there is no mechanism that forces countries who are primarily responsible for the suffering of children Rather than you having to pick up the pieces and then go, you know, with a cap in hand to these countries to do it, that there should be a mechanism that forces them to pick up the pieces that they, they destroyed in terms of people's lives? You know, I mean, the, the good thing and the bad thing about my job is I, I, don't, I don't get involved in politics, right? And, uh, but look, there's a lot of responsibility to go around for the world's children, right? And I think in a way we all bear responsibility for them, right? We all bear responsibility for the next generation and we have to come together as a united world and try to figure out how best to support these children. It's in all of our interests to do that. And I think that, you know, when I go to a country like Afghanistan or Pakistan or any given country, I talk to the, that country about what they need to do, obviously, and then they, they, uh, they need support. With regards to the status of uh, right to education for girls in Afghanistan, what role does UNICEF have in trying to provide education or ensure that education is provided to, to, to young girls there? Well, as I said, I did visit Afghanistan. I wanted that to be the first place, the f place I went on my first trip, which indeed it was. And I met with the Taliban, several Taliban leaders there, and talked to them about two things. One, that girls have a right to an education, and 
UNICEF believes that, um, and I communicated that to them quite directly. But I also what, what was their response? Sorry, before uh, they 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 didn't disagree with me. They didn't disagree with me. They were very uh, the the Taliban leaders I met with were very um, open to the conversation. I also talked to them about how. Um, girls' education was important uh, and uh, almost a sort of a litmus test to people in the West and that they had to understand that, that, that um, so many of uh, our people who work with UNICEF, support UNICEF, Western governments would do see girls' education as a very important issue for whether the Taliban is going to be kind of a, a legitimate government, an open government, a government that supports its people or not. And I tried to communicate that to them, that they need to understand how critical that single issue is, as, is in, in a way. And I think they understood that. Now, you know, we were happy that we were, that they, they were uh, indicating to us, and then indeed girls were told that they were going to be able to go back to school. Unfortunately, they showed up to school and were sent home. And so, you know, we're now hoping that that, you know, and we've been told that that's not really a final decision, that they're considering what they want to do. But, you know, this is a, this is a critical moment for the Taliban. One of, one of the other uh, countries that, unfortunately, um, children are suffering a lot in, uh, whether it's, you know, for their lives or malnutrition or lack of education, is Yemen. Can you tell me a bit more about the work that UNICEF is doing there and challenges there. No, it's it's a terrible situation, honestly, and uh, it has been going on for years. And it it, it I I don't see uh, a solution at hand, uh, and I'm very worried about it because I I don't know um, I don't know what happens next. I mean, we are we are certainly there working, um, trying to help the children who live there. But it's a, it's a desperate situation. We need more funds there. We don't have enough um, money for our efforts there. And what happens at UNICEF is that a, a lot of our, some of our funding we can use wherever we want, but most of our funding is, is directed, is given by individuals or countries or whomever gives it to us for certain purposes. And so we, we certainly need more money for Yemen um, because it hasn't, as you, as you pointed out, hasn't been in the headlines recently as Ukraine has. There is another issue that I want to talk about, which is, um, it falls under the, the uh, umbrella of uh, protecting children. Um, and it's uh, the arrest of children, uh, imprisoning of children. We've seen it's either in terms of child soldiers uh, that have been picked up in some conflicts between uh, Sudan, South Sudan in the past. We've seen, for example, in uh, Israel, with Israel arresting, uh, according to Beit Salem, uh, the Israeli human rights organization, more than uh, 600 children uh, in recent months. Do you believe that uh, the legislation that currently exists in terms of protecting children on an international level is enough. Listen, it's very challenging. You know, I mean, we, we, we are a child's rights organization, right? We believe children have rights. And certainly, children should not be arrested, right? Children should not be in prison. And children should not be, um, children should not be uh, fighting in conflicts. I mean, we certainly believe that. Um, but, you know, 
Children should not be subjected to FGM. Children should not be married early. There are a lot of uh, rights violations that go on around the world, and we protest those and um, you know argue against those and try to support children uh, and do our best for that. But yes, I mean, what is the mechanism to support it? For us, the mechanism is we have to work with governments and work with partners around the world to try to combat it. There are several countries that have been pushing for the reform of the United Nations. With regards to UN agencies, like UNICEF, like UNRWA, like others, do you believe that maybe they require some, not necessarily reform, but new tools, new mechanisms um, that would help maybe further your work, make it less difficult? You know, it's a, it's a little bit of a hard question for me to answer because I've only been there for a couple of months. So I, other than saying, that the UN is very um, bureaucratic and has like, way too many meetings. I'm not an no, expert. No, <laughs> I'm not an expert. On that. But the one thing I would say about UNICEF is we do both humanitarian work and developmental work. We're in development work. We're the only one of the only agencies that has both mandates. So we go in and deal with humanitarian crises, but we also are trying to do the development side, which is to try to help deal with problems before they become a crisis. Right. So. In a way, I think that UNICEF is lucky to have both those mandates because we are trying to, while, while we are dealing with a problem, also trying to work on things so that we can avoid the next problem. And I think that is the right approach, um, certainly for us, but I think it's also the right approach more generally because the only way you can really try to prevent these things in the future is couple of things. One, to try to make sure children are healthy, right, so that they're vaccinated, that they have decent nutrition, and that they are educated, right? That's the future of the world, is if you can make those things happen. Is that going to avoid every conflict in the future? No. But it is the best hope for the world, right, is if children are healthy, educated, loved, taken care of. And th that way, you know, we have some hope that in the future we'll have a better world, and that's what UNICEF is really working for. Catherine Russell, Executive Director of UNICEF, thank you very much for talking to Al Jazeera. Thank you so much.